Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome, Nationals fans, to this edition of the Dogcast. We'll try not to go too doom and gloom this week. I'm your host, Blake Finney, and hopefully our attempt at a podcast is better than Matt Wheater's attempt at a stolen base. Joining me this week from the side of New York that hasn't been brawling this week is former site expert Ricky Keeler. How are you doing today, Ricky? I'm doing good, Blake. How are you? Not too bad. It's uh, It was a nail-biter today that, again, every time we felt like we were going to come back into it, the Rockies uh, one-upped us, I guess. Yeah, that, that's really the crazy part of that entire series. It just seemed like Colorado found a way to get the big hits, and the Nats just couldn't. And they, they're not running the base as well. They're not doing the little things. And that's what they did so well last year. And it, it just has that 2015 air to it. It's still really early in the year. But you're down so many players, and they kind of need somebody other than Bryce Harper to actually start stepping up and scoring runs. And they really don't have that right now. Yeah, absolutely. It- it doesn't help when three of your biggest players have been out injured for the last uh, two games. But like you say, someone needs to step up. If it's Trey Turner, Matt Wheaters, who stepped up this series, and we'll come on to him in a bit, they do need someone else other than Harper. He can't win games by himself. And maybe it's one of the indicators that he may well leave at the end of the season. It is, it is, it's not Dan Ugla at second base and Tyler Moore in left field opening day bad. Like They actually had some good role players on the team, like Brian Goodwin's done a nice job when he's healthy and he's been banged up. Severino's done a nice job. But they can't, they're not guys that can play every day. And that's why they need Anthony Rendon back, because if you lose Rendon on the deal with Eaton and Murphy, I mean, Trey Turner's done an excellent job taking pitches and walking, but he's eventually enough to get to a point where Dave Martinez is going to have to say, look, I need you to drive and run. I can't afford you just walking and stealing bases anymore. Yeah, I think um, especially him in the leadoff spot has been uh, somewhat impressive. He's been drawing the walks that we all wanted to see, but it's still coming at the cost of a 220 batting average. So yeah, that's, that's what we're going to do... You can't steal first base. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, the Nationals prove you can steal every other base today. Um, but yeah, we're going to look over the Rockies series. So obviously there was a 5-1 loss on Thursday another close loss on Friday. It's kind of a running theme this, um, this season so far that we're losing a lot of close games. Uh, we actually came out with a win on Saturday. Obviously, Max Scherzer was Max Scherzer, did what he needed to ground out the win when the team needed it, but unfortunately, they fell again today 6-5. So when picking my star of the series, it was quite close between Matt Wheaters and Max Scherzer. Obviously, Mad Max was Mad Max and came up clutch. Team was on a long skid and they needed a win and he delivered. But I think Matt Wheat is coming back from the DL. He went three for nine with two key home runs in the series and three RBIs. So what did you see of Matt Wheaters? And is this what we can expect? Or can we can we expect him to tail off like he did last season? Yeah, I, I never thought that Matt Wheaters was as bad as he was last season. I mean, this is a guy that in April last year actually was putting up some good numbers. So when he's healthy and able to play, He's going to hit you your fair share of home runs. This is a guy that did hit 17 homers a couple of years ago. So he can, as a catcher, put up 15, 20 homers out of the lineup if you need him to. 
don't know if he gets a 20, so let's just say about 15. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he's, he can definitely keep the pace at the bottom of the order. I just don't think he's their, he's their biggest issue right now. Like, he just has to call a good game behind the plate. He does that, you take it. It's, it he just, I think they have it right with the platoon of Matt Wieters and Pedro Severino. Wieters is at the point in his career where he can't play every day, but if he's a part-time player, I think that's where he's best utilized. Yeah, I think if you have some combination of Wheaters and Pedro Severino hitting seven or eight in the lineup, you're doing pretty well for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And Severino, I'm glad he's finally healthy. I mean, last year he had a bad year, but he had so many injuries in the minor leagues last year. Just could never really get in that rhythm. And he's been a guy that he doesn't have the great minor league numbers, but he always seems to step up at the major league level. And, that, and that's a good thing to have about a player. Well, yeah, I think a lot of people do forget that he did start game one of the NLDS in 2016. Like he, was, he was that impressive, obviously. That was only because Wilson Ramos went down injured, but he stepped up at that point and overtook Lobotone for the start in that game. Which, by the way, it's kind of ironic how Jose Lobotone's on the other side of this and actually now getting significant playing time with the injuries to Travis Darno and Kevin Ploiecki. Yeah, there's, uh, is it Thomas Nido? I'm pretty sure he's just a regen from MLB The Show. Um, <laughs> but one of the key points, not necessarily for good reasons, was obviously Anthony Rendon getting hit on the toe on a foul ball on Saturday. Uh, the team don't expect him to be out for long, so he'll probably uh, return to the lineup at some point this series. But um, he's someone that's really going underrated, obviously, more so that now that he's missing, you notice he's not there. So... Uh, where would you put Rendon in the lineup when he comes back? Would you put him in two, or until uh, the likes of Murphy and Eaton come back, would you put him at four behind Harper to give him some protection? I think you got to put him two. I mean, that's where he's been best utilized to start the season in the lineup. I kind of liked last year that he was toward the middle because it gave him more pitches to hit. I just don't know as great as be to put Rendon behind Harper. I mean, your best bet would be right now, Rendon was in a good rhythm in a two spot before the injury. You've got to be able, I think, if Ryan Zerman can't get it going, and at least they got Mark Reynolds at least to try to help with that when he does eventually get to the major leagues, you got to give Matt Adams the significant playing time. I mean, I know Zerman makes a lot of money, but either you, either Martinez has to play him every day because if you put Rendon in the four spot, Wilmer Defoe's not a good two-hitter. He can't move the runners over. At least Rendon can get a single to the right side, get Turner to third, or at the very least get a productive out. You're not getting that from Wilmer Defoe or anybody in that lineup, and I don't think Martinez wants to move Bryce Harper up to second more often than not. Yeah, I think um, I think I would agree and put Rendon second, and then somewhat a bit out of the box, put Harry Kendrick at four. Obviously, he's not going to hit for the same power numbers that Rendon and Harper will, but he'll be able to drive uh, the top of the lineup in when he's hitting there. I think he's hitting three ten so far this season. When he's healthy, he's most underrated third base in the league. And we keep saying that every year, but he just doesn't get that much attention on the great third basemen that there are. But you saw it in 2015 when he missed all that time. They're not the same team, and they're not the same team without him now. He just does the little things in addition to the power and the contact and everything else. And they can't afford If he goes on the DL, I mean, it's going to be really tough for the team to recover because this, that's a third of your lineup that's out. And when this team is healthy, it clicks. You saw it there. They're not as – I saw Chelsea James tweet as singles last week. They're not as great as they were the first four games, 
but they're not as bad as what they played the last week and a half. No, you just you just imagine the thought of Eaton, Turner, Harper, Murphy, uh, Rendon, Kendrick. If that's your top six, say, you're doing pretty well for yourself, and then hopefully the offense can get back on track. The rotation's not been the problem with this team so far. No, not at all. Tanner Roark was, I thought, pretty good on Friday. Definitely an improvement from the Mets start that he had. Gio's still a little bit up and down, but that's Gio Gonzalez. You take what you get with Gio. I mean, if you can get a quality outing, you run with it. If he gives up two runs over five innings and throws 110 pitches, you take that too. But they have to win games that Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg don't pitch. And that's why it stings hmm. to lose a game like they did today, up 4-1 to one with Strasburg in the mound. You have to find a way to win that game. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think Ricky touched on it before. Ryan Zimmerman, again, continues to struggle. He was 2-for-13 in this series. Obviously, Matt Adams isn't doing a whole lot there. He's hitting 150. But do you expect to see somewhat of a traditional platoon now? So Matt Adams playing against righties and Zimmerman restrict the lefties. And obviously, Zimmerman could be a potentially potent pinch hitting at bat. It, it, it's possible, but I thought FP made a good point on the Madden telecast today. If you want Ryan Zimmerman to get in a rhythm, you have to play him every day. I mean, people didn't like what Dusty Baker did in some of his decisions, but Baker gave his veterans a shot to snap out of it. I think Dave Martinez has to give Zimmerman at least a chance to get out of the funk he's in, not start him one day, sit him one day, start him clean up, move him down. You've got to keep your veterans, I think, in the same spot. Eventually it might get to that point where Matt Adams plays on a platoon with Zimmerman, but I think you've you got to get this guy a chance to break out, and maybe you move him down because I can't think of a guy who is more relieved than that scored two runs on a wild pitch at bases low than Ryan Thurman was today. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right that he definitely needs to be moved down because it's just going to affect Harper and people are going to pitch around him like we've seen all season. They've been happy to walk him, let Zimmerman come up, and kind of it flashes back to the Cub series where they were more than happy to move base runners up walking Harper because Zimmerman was hitting behind him. Which is, again, another ironic that Dave Martinez is the manager now and he was on that staff that did that. But mm. that's the problem. Matt Adams is not an, an everyday player. I mean, we saw it last year. Adam Lynn's a great bench player. He's an okay everyday player. Matt Adams is, is a good everyday player, but he's best utilized down a run in the ninth inning like he was against the Braves last week. You gotta at least. Yeah, give, it's way too early to give up on Zimmerman. I would move him down, but again, it's like we talked about earlier. Who takes the number two spot if you move Rendon there? Who takes if you move another player up in the order? There's so many different things right now that Nats having problems with that it's not just a quick fix of taking Zimmerman down in the lineup. Yeah, uh, and then the final thing I wanted to touch on was Trey Turner, obviously hitting leadoff with Adam Eaton out. And despite a 2.11 average, he has a 3.38 on base percentage, which we touched on a little bit before. He's actually taking the walks. Do you think he'll stick there when Eaton comes back, or do you think he gets bumped down to number six again? I would think he moves down to six. Again, I'm, I don't know what Dave Martinez would think in that situation. I guess it would depend on how Turner's hitting at the time. I love the fact he's taking pitches. I love the fact he's drawing walks. Adam Eaton's just a better leadoff hitter. And that's just the way it goes sometimes. And Turner was utilizing his power in the middle of the order. Maybe the Nats could use more of that right now than getting guys on base because they're not scoring when they're getting guys on base. 
Eaton, to me, is the more complete hitter, but you're starting to see Turner sort of mature his game into not being so aggressive and swinging at the first pitch or swinging pitches down in the, or out of the zone. He's starting to find his eye at the plate, and eventually the hits will come, but I think it's been more critical the walks are coming because it means he's finally starting to realize where his zone is. Yeah, I think you can you can absolutely stomach the pretty terrible batting average right now as long as he's getting on base, which um, he can take a walk and turn it into a double with his speed, and he's going to steal 70-odd bases if he stays healthy. So the average doesn't matter to me too much while he's hitting leadoff. Obviously, if he then starts hitting six, you need him to start driving the ball and driving runs in rather than just getting on base. Absolutely. Uh, so now we're going to look ahead to the Mets series. Obviously, the Mets are flying high. They've got, I think it's the second best record in baseball now after the Red Sox. They're 12-2, and two, top of the NL East. And they've got the best ERA in the NL, which is kind of to be expected where their pitching rotation is their strength. So against the Brewers, they won the opener 6-5. Todd Frazier hit two home runs and the bullpen held on from a late charge against the Brewers. Obviously, they lost on Saturday 6-1. They were shut down by Chase Anderson, and the Brewers utilized the long ball well. And then finally today, they had a dramatic 3-2 walk-off win with Wilma Flores in the bottom of the ninth. So, uh, touching back on that rotation, we've got the big five in place. So, they've got uh, Syndergaard, DeGrom, Harvey, Wheeler, Matz, all in the rotation for the first time. How big do you think that's going to be if they can all stay healthy? I mean, that's a big lift. I mean, right now, Syndergaard today striking out eight in a row, almost getting to the Met record, had a no-hitter in the, uh, through four. He's starting, when he's healthy, he's locked in. DeGrom, I, for my money, DeGrom is their most consistent starting pitcher. He stays healthy. You know what you're going to get out of him on a night-in, night-out basis. Even Matt's is up and down, but I thought even in his start against Milwaukee last uh, on Friday, he did a good job at least getting out of the situation, putting up five and a third, I think the issue right now with what Mickey Cowley has, he doesn't have many issues. He's like King Midas. Everything he touches turns to gold practically. They've got to get more innings out of their starters. I mean, Syndergaard throws way too many pitches, and he was out in the sixth inning today. Matt can only give you, like, hasn't gone past five and a third yet. Matt Harvey can't get past five innings. He's got 11 straight starts going no more than five. They could wear down that bullpen, but for right now their rotation – the big bonus, Zach Wheeler came back and looked really good against the Marlins. Yes, it's the Marlins, but uh, definitely a good sign. And Jason Vargas is going to be back in a couple of weeks, you would think. So, Mickey Cowley's going to have some tough decisions to make. But for right now, their starting rotation is key. I would argue their bullpen, though, has been more impressive. Where Juris Familia is locking down saves pretty easily. You have Hansel Robles, who Cowley seems to trust, and he's done a nice job. But it's been Seth Lugo and Robert Gazelman that have been starters turned relievers. Their velocity's gone up. Seth Lugo's been throwing 95 all of a sudden now to go with that devastating curveball. So the fact that those two have been those good bridge relievers really makes this bullpen one of the best, if not the best, in the game through the first 14 games. Yeah, I remember Seth Lugo's relief appearance on Sunday Night Baseball against the Nationals, and he definitely looked really impressive then. So, yeah, like you say, there are some question marks. I don't know if AJ Ramos is the eighth inning guy they're quite expecting. He seems to be allowing a lot of base runners, but yeah, on the whole, especially Jacob Rain impressed me as well, coming out of nowhere. I don't, not sure where he came from, but he's looked pretty impressive for the Mets as well. 
Moran they got in the I think it's the Curtis Granderson deal. He's he's in Vegas now, but I like that Paul Seawald stepped up on Saturday when Matt Harvey only went five. He gave them some big innings so that they could use the big guns today to get a big time win. Ramos, I agree, but Callaway also is one of those guys. He talked about it like Familia's locked in the closer role, but everything else is interchangeable. Like you can see Robert Gazelman in the sixth, seventh inning if the situation calls on it. And he's starting to figure out his trust in his own guys. The only worry you have is if he wears down those guys. And that's where the rotation is going to have to give him significant innings. And maybe that's when Vargas comes back that helps that factor because they need – I mean, right now I think the biggest weakness on the Mets is Matt Harvey. Uh, right now his fastball doesn't have the same life that you saw it on Sunday Night Baseball. When he misses with location, it gets rough, and it gets rough hard. And he was throwing 90-91 the other night, albeit a really cold night. But right now, if, if Matt pitches okay and Wheeler keeps pitching the way he's been pitching, they're going to have a tough decision to make, and it might be a tough one for a guy in his contract year. And we'll see what they instantly decide with Matt Harvey, depending on options. But he definitely needs to step up in the next couple of weeks to keep his spot. Well, yeah, I remember Matt Hart, didn't he throw a one-hit, albeit in five innings, throw a one-hitter? in his first game and everyone was raving about, oh, it's the it's the Matt Harvey of old and in the last two appearances, it's been the Matt Harvey of the last two years. So you wonder whether his stuff might play up to going into relief for a bit and then being ready to stretch out if someone gets injured. And obviously the Mets rotation is very familiar with getting injured. Um, but yeah, especially if, if Wheeler can step up, he should get this start on Tuesday to prove himself again. I think Vargas is nearly ready. He might need one more rehab start. So, yeah, it'll be be interesting to see if um, if it's Harvey Wheeler or maybe Stephen Matz who uh, ends up being the scapegoat, for lack of a better word. I mean, situations like these tend to play, the, play themselves out as they should. So you have a case where maybe somebody gets injured and then that sort of changes Cowley's decision-making. But... Definitely going to be some really tough moves he has to make. And for the most part, every tough decision he's made so far has worked out. I mean, really, I think the only decision you could look at today's game where he pinch hits Jay Bruce and then Brewers walk Bruce and make Syndergaard have to hit, even though he was taken out right away. At, at the very least, it Callaway has found a way to put trust in certain players right away. And I think that's important. And what I love about this Mets team is different guys, they just – become heroes every day, and they fight back. They've, they've had so many come-from-behind wins this year, and today Brandon Nimmo ties the game with the homer, and Wilmer Flores wins the game. So they're finding other guys besides Joanna Cespedes and Michael Conforto to come up with big hits. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and on that note, we'll, uh, we'll move to players to watch this series. So obviously there's going to be a new hero every day for the Mets, but I think one player to watch in particular could be former national as Drupal Cabrera. He's hitting... 321 this season with three home runs, and he's fourth in the National League with 12 runs so far this season. So uh, are there any other players that you have your eye on during this series? Well, let me, let me touch on Cabrera first before I get to the player to watch. I like I was doing an article for Elite Sports New York on Cabrera's success, and he's been putting the ball more in the air this year. And when he's doing that, the power has been a huge factor. He's been very versatile in where Cali puts him in the lineup. Sometimes you put him leadoff, sometimes you put him second, sometimes you put him fifth. He's been one of the better hitters late in games in the seventh inning or later this season. He had a twelve he had a twelve game hitting streak up until Saturday night. He's just been very consistent, and that's been a key for him because Cabrera had a down year last year. 
And his power was not the same compared to past years. He had 14 homers compared to 23 in 2016. If he adds the power to what is the consistent 280 batting average, I mean, he's going to make the Mets happy that he picked up that $8.5 million option. Uh, to me, the guy is, is Todd Frazier. Right now, I think a lot of fans would be surprised that Todd Frazier has more walks than strikeouts. His eye has become so much better in the start of the season. He had five hits in the Brewers series and eight at-bats, drove in three runs, walked four times, and only struck out twice. So with Frazier having an on-base of 450, he's seeing more pitches, and that's a big key to this lineup. And the one thing you love about Todd Frazier, and I think Yankee fans saw this at the end of last year too, is a great morale boost in the clubhouse. They got the salt and pepper shaker things going on whenever they get a big hit. Todd Frazier started that. He's one of those loose guys you just want to be around. And his defense has been really good too, especially at a corner infield spot when there's not a lot of trust in Adrian Gonzalez and Wilmer Flores platooning at first base. So Frazier is a big key to sort of stabilize third base for the time being and to help a young player in Rosario on the left side. Yeah, he's been really impressive. And he's one of those that, again, makes that lineup a lot deeper rather than just Conforto and Cespedes. So it was probably one of their weaknesses last season that they only seemed to score runs when they hit home runs. But now they're hitting from top to bottom in that lineup at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is when you win a Cespedes is striking out a ton. So when Cespedes is hitting 190 and they're having the success that they are on offense, I mean, the Mets offense can only go up from where they are at this point. That's a scary thought. Conforto's healthy. He's making his share of impact. He's been a Nats killer against guys like Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. He always seems to find a way to hit home runs. Now, he won't face them in the series, but he's got six home runs lifetime against Washington and 15 hits. Tanner Roark, he's 4-for-12 against with a homer, so Conforto could have, a, I think, a huge week uh, in this game series at City Field. If there's only one thing to take a look at, again, is first base, but Gonzalez has stepped up and had some big hits when they've needed it, and they have the depth, especially in the outfield with Nimmo. I mean, now that he's back and he doesn't play every day, but he gets a chance to shine. They're really only weak point position-wise, I think, is catcher, but with even with Darno and Pulecki healthy, they weren't exactly a strength of that position. Darno can't throw anybody out. Pulecki was starting to have some good signs offensively before his injury, but it gives a chance for Nito to shine, and ultimately we'll see where Pulecki is in a few weeks with that hand issue. But more, more often than not, the Mets, I think, have a good, solid foundation at most of the positions. It was nice to have a Michael Conforto mention without the eight ball coming up. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think the the catching situation, I think – with a lot of teams, you have catchers who just are there at eight and you want their defense to be their calling card, which is what they've got in Nido and Lobatone. And with the rest of the offense performing, you can have that. Teams are okay with that, given how important the catcher can be. So on the national side of things, uh, a player to watch, obviously, uh, Dan Colco of Masson tweeted about an hour ago that Jeremy Hellickson is confirmed to start on Monday. He went eight and 11 last year with a 5.43 ERA between uh, Philadelphia and Baltimore. His FIP, so his field in independent pitching, jumped over one and a half to 5.77. So it's kind of indicating some signs of regression. What do you think Nationals fans can expect out of Hellickson? I mean, you can't put your expectations too high on Hellickson. He's a good five starter. He's an upgrade over A.J. Cole. I think that's really all Nats fans should expect. He doesn't have the greatest numbers out there. He's a good 
signing for depth to allow Eric Fetty time to develop in AAA, to allow some of, I mean, they could even call up a guy like Tommy Malone or Edwin Jackson down the road. We'll see where that goes. It's just a tall order to ask Hellickson to go into City Field against this lineup and beat Jacob DeGrom, who right now is having a good, strong first three outings. He struggled a little bit against the Marlins in his last start, went six innings, gave him four runs on seven hits. The Marlins did the bulk of their damage in the fifth inning. But DeGrom has gone over 100 pitches twice, so at least the pitch limits aren't a big, as big a factor to him as, let's say, a Parvi or a Matt, where it's tough to see them go three times through the order. DeGrom can do that. Uh, and he did a nice job against the Nationals in his second start, got out of that bases loaded jam, did walk a couple of guys. But uh, he's been a pitcher that just always seems to stay consistent. And he was my Cy Young pick going into the year. So I think it's a tall order to ask Kellickson in his Nats debut after a tough loss to go in there and beat DeGrom. But that's why they play the games. Yeah, I think for a fifth starter, Kellickson will be – Fine. Obviously, he was starting on opening day for the Phillies. I think I can't remember if it was last season or the season before. So, if you can get an okay somewhere in between his first season in Philadelphia and his second, between those two, Jeremy Hellickson's, you're doing pretty pretty well for a fifth starter. So, uh, the other player to watch on the national side, I think, is Michael A. Taylor. He uh, his bat is starting to come to life a bit. The hits are falling. He's three for his last seven, and he has five stolen bases this season. And then, obviously, in today's game, we saw that the speed killed. Obviously, he got the double, stole third, and then advanced to home on the wild pitch to tie it in the bottom of the seventh. So I think Michael A. Taylor needs to uh, come back to the version we saw last season. Obviously, I think Victor Robles has his scan in Washington on Monday, and we'll see how that goes. But what are you expecting out of Michael A. Taylor? How long do you think he has to struggle? Well, he's got a lot. I think, especially with the Robles injury, he's got a lot of time. That was a scary injury that Robles had against Rochester this past week, and you hope that he's not out for a significant amount of time because this was going to be his chance to make an impact. I mean, you hope Taylor, off his couple doubles today, starts to get going. He's usually been a March-April kind of guy, which makes the struggles he's had so surprising because – he looked like, especially in the postseason last year, he was starting to be more selective. He was taking pitches. If you want to look at a bright side for Taylor, he did hit 219 last season in April and then bounced back to hit almost 280 in May and three, over 280 in May and about 300 in June. So I wouldn't worry too much about Taylor. He's going to get his significant chance because the Nats don't have the depth in the outfield. Goodwin has to play left field right now. Stevenson is still down in AAA. I don't think they would – really make a Taylor for Stevenson swap. I think a Taylor for Robles swap would have made more sense. Right now, he just has to not press at the plate. And that's, but that's easier said than done, considering that's really been what Taylor has done when he's slumped over the last few years. Yeah, I saw a stat earlier today, and in over 50% of his at-bats at so far, he's been in a two-strike camp, which is quite worrying for someone who obviously has discipline problems and strikes out a ton. So, you don't need to be getting into those camps. You need to be getting into those hitters camps where he can swing and swing with authority. That's really his issue. Like he'll, he's doing a good job attacking fastballs early in the count, but when he gets the two strikes that you mentioned, you throw him a curveball out of the zone, he's easily going to chase it. Yeah, I think just the, the eye test is a bit concerning for me, especially I think it was the Brave series. There were some really ugly strikeouts. And yeah, Robles' injury came at, 
a bad time because I I think he would have come up had he been healthy. Uh, they would have been able to either push Taylor to left or start Robles in left and actually give him some regular playing time, which is the only reason they sent him down to AAA. Taylor wasn't even a bad left fielder a couple of years ago when he had to play that spot for worse, I believe. So, I mean, that would have been a scary outfield of Michael Taylor, Wilmer, uh, not Wilmer, Victor Robles, and Bryce Harper in the three spots. It's been tough to get balls past those three. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite a lot of range. <laughs> so we're going to look ahead to each matchup individually in this game. So first up on Monday, we've got Jeremy Hellickson against Jacob deGrom. Um, Jacob deGrom so far this season, 2-0 with a 3.06 ERA. And I think Ricky touched on it before. He's the guy who you would count on the Mets to eat innings, where Syndergaard obviously comes out a bit early. Wheeler and Mats are still young and... Obviously, Wheeler went seven, but Jacob deGrom has to eat innings, especially after um, Syndergaard only went six innings today. Yeah, definitely. I think deGrom can do that. Um, one of the things that they have to keep an eye on, especially, is the use of Juris Familia, so that could play a factor, at least in the series. But when you've got Seth Lugo, you could go to. They use Gazelman on Sunday, so you could probably see Lugo if things get out of hand early. Uh, but DeGrom, I think, right now, again, has been really consistent. His first two starts are pretty good. He can struggle against Miami a little bit, but it's not something I think you'd worry about. Uh, he is rocks out as they come against the Nats. Really, Anthony Rendon, if he did play, he doesn't have the best numbers. They had a good game on Saturday last week against him. Bryce Harper hit 346 against them, but he's had his fair share of struggles against the big three in this Met, rota- Met rotation. I just, again, don't see Hellickson holding down a lineup that always seems to get the timely hits. And I think even if the Mets are off a beat, DeGrom can make it a close game. And I think the only way the Nats can win this game is with their offense. And it's tough to see with the way they're struggling hitting in scoring position. They're going to make those clutch hits against DeGrom when they couldn't do it last week. Yeah, I think I think the Nats are going to struggle again. Uh, I've gone for 6-2 Mets. Obviously, Nats get in the offense is going to struggle to come up big. They could have done with coming up against, say, Zach Wheeler or Stephen Matz first up, but that's just the way it is. Uh, do you have a particular score prediction for this one? Uh, let's go Let's go 7-3. to three. I think the Mets will find a way to get one of those crooked innings, and I think it'll get to a point where maybe they don't have to use Familia in this game. or Keep an eye on Jerry Blevins, too. This guy doesn't really face a lot of uh, batters this year, but you always seem to see that guy that finds a way to get Bryce Harper and those lefties out. So Callaway's not afraid to use Blevins, just like Collins was it last year. Yeah, I think we're going to see Jerry Blevins v. Bryce Harper in like 90% of Nats-Mets games this year. It's, yeah, it's always a given. Nats-Mets play late innings with Blevins against Murphy and, and Harper. <laughs> yeah, we're just so used to it. I think he pitched two of the three games in the previous series, so... Yeah, that's definitely a matchup we can bank on seeing at some point. So second up on Tuesday, we've got Gio Gonzalez against Zach Wheeler. Gio Gonzalez, 1-1 one one with a 2.2 OERA so far this season. And Zach Wheeler, obviously only the one start, so 1-0, 1.29 ERA. I think this is a game that the Nationals really have to look to take, obviously, with DeGrom v. Helixson being a bit of a mismatch in the first game. And they need to make some ground up on the Mets. I know it's only April, but you can't let them get too far away. And they 
if they get swept by the Mets, it's an absolute disaster. So what are your thoughts on this game for the Nationals? This is a game I think the Nats, like you said, have to win. I think they've got a good matchup here. Zach Wheeler, one of the reasons he got sent down to Vegas was he doesn't do a good job of managing pitches per inning. Like, he can have one of those 25-30 pitch innings, and that can tend to affect him as starts go on. He did a good job of that in his first start in Vegas against El Paso. Outside of a couple of three-ball counts in the middle innings, he was really good. Got the fastball up to about 96. So the heater is definitely there. The one thing you want to look for in this game, the Nationals in spring training, I think were the one team that cost Zach Wheeler his job. They did a really good job against them, albeit spring training, but last season Murphy hits the grand slam against them in the first inning back in April, but Wheeler settled down, still went seven innings, and then a start after that, he needs about 100 pitches to go four and two-thirds. So if we if the Nats can get Wheeler at about 20 pitches per inning, I think they've got a really good chance. Plus, I don't know if you have the numbers in front of you, Blake, Gio Gonzalez, his second home is City Field. He always seems to find ways to win in that building. He's, he's where he's most comfortable. And just off that alone, I'm going to give the Nats the edge. I think Gio has a chance to shine in this ballpark and in this game. Yes, it's a different Mets team, but City Field makes him feel comfortable, and it's not easy when Gio doesn't have his comfort sometimes. Yeah, I think um, – I don't have the stats in front of me. It's one of them that I didn't. But, um, yeah, I, I think Gio – <laughs> I think Gio likes to perform well at home. And then looking at their ERAs against the respective teams, like you've got Gio Gonzalez, 14-5 and five with a 2A8 ERA against the Mets in 24 career starts. And then Zach Wheeler, 2-7, 4.48 ERA in 10 career starts against the Mets. So on that side of things, it does look a bit lopsided. And I think the pressure of it all, hopefully they get Anthony Rendon back by Tuesday to deepen that lineup a bit. I think... Uh, I have the Nats coming out on a close one, three to two. Um, I think Zach Wheeler's the wild card here. Are we going to see the Zach Wheeler that we saw in his last start, or are we going to see the Zach Wheeler that hasn't done that well previously and uh, kind of wasn't li- living up to the previous expectations he had? Yeah, I'm going to go. For, I'm going to go four to three Nats. This one of those games where you see the Kinsler, Madsen, Doolittle trio do their thing. Although mm. the Mets did a good job against Brandon Kinsler last week, so that's another thing to keep an eye on, although Kinsler seems to have snapped out of that mini funk he was in. Gonzalez, by the way, at City Field in his career, I get the numbers right here, 10-1 and one with a 1.69 ERA and 15 starts. He has won his last, he is 5-0 and oh in his last seven starts and has given up a total of seven runs since 2014. Mm. Pretty impressive. Uh, but yeah, to touch on Kinsler, I think in his first few outings, he was elevating that two-seamer. And then in the last two, from what I've watched, it, he's been keeping it down and it's got a lot more bite to it in the last few games, which I think has been the key because that's what has generated those outs. It's been a bit deceptive. It's nipped the outside of the plate and caught the black of the plate. Um, so yeah, I think Kinsler's definitely figuring it out. And albeit I... I mentioned on the last podcast it might be time to give Sammy Solis a shot there, but Kinsler's come out firing since then, and I think he deserves to go back to the seventh where he was. And I think he threw a scoreless inning today and didn't give up a base runner. So, yeah, it's good to see him turn it around. Yeah, I think Solis is one of those guys that you love to use in those emergency situations where you need a strikeout. Solis is that guy to get it to you. I was kind of surprised to panic on Kinsler early in the year because – Kinsler, you know who he is. He gets the ball down in the zone. If the ball is up, people are going to hit it because he doesn't have that velocity. So 
Tinsler location always is the key for him, but he is very comfortable in the seventh inning. Ryan Madsen's done a nice job in the eighth, and Doolittle's given up his fair share of home runs, but he's done a nice job stabilizing the ninth. So if this, I would be real interested if this becomes a bull, Wheeler, I think, has to get it to the bullpen. The danger for the Nats is they don't have the best bullpen in this series. So if Callaway can play the right matchups like he did in that Sunday night game, that's where the Mets can have the edge. I just think Gio's dominance in this one is going to be just a little too much. Yeah, I'd, I'd, like I said, I expect Gio to come out and pitch well in front of the Nats Park crowd. So, obviously, the last game we have Tanner Roark against Steven Matz. It's going to be a, probably another close matchup that the Nationals really need to hope to win and get a big series win against the Mets. So, Tanner Roark this season so far, 1-1 one and one with a 3.50 ERA. And Steven Matz, 1-1 one and one as well with a 3.77 ERA. So... How do you see this one going? Again, I said pretty evenly matched on the face of it. One of the interesting stats I saw on SNY over the weekend, and that Nats start back on April 7th, where Matt gave up one unearned run over five innings and he got eight strikeouts. He did have only three swings and misses. So it's where you have a guy strike out eight guys and not get any hardly any swings and misses on his pitches. He's a guy that relies a lot on the corners, and the Nats, I think, stole four bases in that game. So Dave Martinez, who loves for this team to run, I think they're going to run really free in this series. And this could be really the game to do it. Matt and Syndergaard really are two guys that don't hold runners on as often, and that makes it easy to steal on them. I thought Matt's bounced back against Milwaukee a little bit. He did give up a couple of home runs. He has given up four home runs in three games, albeit the four home runs all came in the two starts other than the Nats game. But uh, Hernan Perez took him deep, and Ryan Braun took him deep. So... I think the home run ball is something to watch with both these guys. I think the key is going to be which pitcher locates more because we saw in that Sunday night game when Tanner Roark is wild with his command and leaves his pitches up, he had the three walks led to the Gonzalez grand slam. Cabrera then hits a home run in the inning prior. While Roark did strike out nine, he did give up five runs. So to me, location is going to be key for both of these guys. If this does turn into a bullpen game, as we saw Roark was the hard luck loser against Colorado, I can see the Mets pulling out a 5-4 to four kind of win, and maybe this is the game where their bullpen gets them a series win because the Mets just do a good job of working the count, and Rock's not a guy that's going to put you away easily with the lack of velocity that he has. Yeah, I think they're both, they're both very hot and cold pitchers. They're either on it or they're giving up five or six runs. I think you touched on uh, Mets with not many swings and misses against the Nets. I think that's been a theme throughout the the whole national season so far. They've been taking a lot of good pitches and working themselves into bad counts, and that's part of the reason the offense is struggling. So they're definitely going to need to change that. I think Max's stuff is better than that, that he can still get the strikeouts even when people aren't just standing like statues in the box. But uh, it's going to be a key game. I've got the Nats 5-4. to four. That might be some uh, home team bias there, but it's a difficult one to predict given the hot and cold nature of the two pitchers. Yes, that's the fun part about this matchup because the best hitter that's healthy against Steven Matz is Michael Taylor, who's 3-for-12 with a home run. Bryce Harper is 2-for-11 without any home runs against Matz. Zimmerman's 0-for-11, so I don't know what uh, Martinez is going to do in this game. Is he going to go with Matt Adams over Ryan Zimmerman based on the matchups? Again, I think that's where the sabermetric community might take a look and see what happens there. And, and, and on the other side with Tanner Roark, 
Uh, we saw Cabrera hit a home run off of him. We've seen um, Gonzalez has a couple against him. Conforto's four for 12. Um, Cespedes does struggle, and so does uh, Jay Bruce. They're combined five for 32. So I'm going to look at Cabrera and Gonzalez being key for the Mets in this game. I think on the Nats side, maybe it's Michael Taylor, and it's Trey Turner getting on base because if Turner can steal two or three bases, that alone could steal the Nats a couple of key runs they could use. Yeah, they they definitely need him, and I think it's been one of the another one of the themes of the national series. They've been keen to run the bases, and for the large part, they've been doing it well. We'll we'll gloss over Wheaters' attempted steal, uh, but you've got Trey Turner. I think he's stolen six or seven, and then Taylor's got the five so far this season. So it's definitely been a theme, and probably one of the bright spots on the Nats' offense that they have been able to run with such success. So. Yeah, maybe they can take advantage of that against the Mets pitchers and get some runners in the scoring position. Yeah, I think it's definitely a key. Which which team gets which the hits and runs in scoring position? It's a simple thing, but it, I think it decides the series and, and decides that game because I think both Roark and Mets are going to have innings where they're going to try to find a way to get out of some jams. Yeah, so... Uh, do you see this as a must-win must series for the Nationals? I know it's only April, but do they need to take two or three? I think just – I don't think it ruins their season if they don't, but I, I think they need something positive right now because you got the fans feeling like it's 2015 all over again with the high expectations and the disappointing April. They then go on the West Coast after this series. West Coast trips in the middle of the year can and can make or break your season. But it feels like with this team, if they went out and had a stinker in L.A. and a stinker in San Francisco, that can really set them back. And like you said, you don't want to dig yourself too far behind the eight ball. The Mets I still have, I think, a pretty favorable schedule. Uh, they do have San Diego at the end of the month as well. So the Mets, I think, have put themselves in a good position. Philly's playing well. Atlanta's playing well. And Ronald Acuna could be up soon. So they have to get past those teams. I think they will. But after getting swept and the Mets winning all those close games against them and then Bruce getting the grand slam off Kinsler in the last series, if the Mets get two out of three from them again, they now have the psychological edge. And we saw how critical that was in 2015 when the Mets won the division and in 2016 how critical it was when the Nats found a way to win basically every game at City Field and steal the division back from them. Yeah, there's definitely those echoes of 2015 where the Nets always seem to lose the key games against the Mets. And... It is difficult to hype up a series in April, but I, I'm not sure, like you say, a series loss is the end for the Nationals, even though that's a bit doomsday, but they do need something mentally more than in the standings where you can still afford to be this far behind, but then you've dropped five or six to uh, probably your closest competitor. Right, and and they'll look on the other side and look at the success Callaway's having and then they'll look at the struggles Martinez has had and not really, it's not a fair comparison. Callaway was a perfect fit for the Mets because he knows how to use those pitchers well. He's a pitching coach. He knows the strength of the team. Martinez is still figuring things out and he's dealing with more injuries than Callaway's dealing with right now. The Mets are playing like the team they should have played like last year when they had all the expectations. It's unfair to pin the Nats problems on Martinez because at some point the players got a hit. And that's, you can fire every manager you want. At some point, the player's got to perform. This is too good a team to be struggling this way. 
Yeah, I don't. There isn't a lot that Martinez has done, done a whole lot, I can't, whole lot wrong. I can't so think of any. I can't think of anything that he's done that bad. Like, there's no decision I can say. Oh, I would have definitely done that differently. Yeah, it's not quite Gabe Kapler. Yeah, but I mean, Kapler's now got a good momentum, albeit he's played the Marlins, Reds, and the Rays the last three series. But hey, you got to beat his on your schedule. Yeah, I think I have seen a few tweets saying we should really be reviewing Davey Martinez, and that's uh, that's definitely dipping into your speciality with Yankees fans. Oh yeah, they've got their own issues with Aaron Boone right now for sure. But <laughs> even again, that's not an Aaron Boone issue. It's really the it's real. You got to also think of it like this. It's been historically so cold that you have offenses that would normally be that clicking right about now in April that are not. And eventually, the weather heats up. Some of these players are going to snap out of it. Yeah, uh, I think that just about wraps us up for today. So I want to say thanks to Ricky for joining me today and throwing it back to the district on deck days. So where can our listeners find you nowadays? Uh, definitely, you can find me at Elite Sports New York. It's at Elite Sports NY on Twitter. I do a lot of the St. John's basketball coverage, but I've also been dipping into some Mets. I did an article on Drupal Cabrera like I talked about earlier. They've got Giants, Jets draft coverage, Yankees, Mets, Devil talking in the playoffs, Knicks head coaching search. So anything you're looking for in New York, go to that website. Also go to pinstriprospects.com. I do some Yankee minor league nightly recaps. I'll be covering the St. on Yankees in June in the Penn League. You can also... I do some work at Minor League Ball 2, so go over there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at RickaNader555. That's at R-I-C-K, letter I, Nader like in Terminator, and 555. Appreciate the uh, flashback to the old days, Blake. You're doing a great job at the show, and uh, thanks for having me on. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, it was, uh, it was great to talk some Nationals and Mets, and hopefully we'll have Ricky on when the Nationals come are we are we going to Yankee Stadium? I think it is actually. It's actually yeah. I think it's two. It's two in DC in May, and then two here in the Bronx in June. Yeah, so we'll we'll definitely have you back on for them. Okay. Absolutely looking looking forward to it. Thanks, Blake. Yeah. Thanks, Ricky. So, like I said, that wraps us up. Uh, you should go check out some of our content on the website this week. So. Drew took a look at Adam Eaton's contract compared to Charlie Blackman's latest extension and uh, how the Nats kind of basically, that's why they overpaid for him because of the contract. And aside from the injuries, he's been paying back the Nationals every little bit. And then also Ron looked at why an uphill battle in the NAOE could favor the Nationals and actually having to compete for the division for the first time in a long time could serve them well in October, should they make it. Obviously, we're not not going to panic too much just yet, but we'll see. Uh, so finally, remember to follow us at District on Deck. Give us a like on Facebook, District on Deck. Uh, give us a follow on Blog Talk Radio, and you can also subscribe on iTunes and get our episodes automatically downloaded to your uh, Apple device. So... Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back on Wednesday to look ahead to the Nats West Coast Swing in LA and San Francisco, which I don't mean to brag, but I'm going. So that should be a hell of a lot of fun. And we'll see you then.